Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Today, we have um, a special announcement. We sent out a very vague Sunday preview to let you know that we would have an announcement this Sunday. And I am just so excited to be able to share this with you and as your pastor to be able to have the privilege of the one to tell you about it. Um, Redemption Hill Church has had the privilege to see the seeds of the gospel grow in a, into a local church over the past decade. And so for those of you that are newer to Redemption Hill or don't know, August of this year will mark our 10th anniversary as a church, our 10th birthday. And, is, and we're going to form a team to help us celebrate that anniversary well, and so, Lord willing, we'll be able to have more people together when August rolls around, and we'll continue to see how that rolls out, but we are going to find ways and look for ways to celebrate that over this next year. As exciting as that is, that's not even the part I'm excited to tell you about today. So over the past decade, we also as a church have had the privilege to invest into church planting heavily. In D.C., as we planted our own church throughout this region, as we, when we moved here, there were zero churches in the Acts 29 network in the D.C. metro area. Now there's 15, and so we've seen that grow. We've invested resources and training and coaching. There's been financial investment, and we've particularly invested into planting in Mexico City as Pastor Chewy was trained here and planted a church in his hometown in Mexico City, and now Pastor Eli continues to lead that church, Doxa, Iglesia Cristiana. We've helped plant two churches in Belfast, Northern Ireland, another global capital, um, and we are, we, are, we are partnered with church planting movement in Havana, Cuba, and now also in the South Bronx with Pastor Rich Rivera, who was able to come in and preach this past fall, and we are officially the sending church for Matthew's Table Church in the South Bronx. And, and so these are ways that our church has been engaged and invested in church planting. And God has been gracious to our church over the past year in your generosity. You have, the way that you, our church has given and continued to support our ministry through COVID over the past year has been amazing. And it's postured us as we look ahead to the summer and the next ministry year to have the ability to take and seize opportunities that are coming up um, that we, we didn't expect we would be able to have. And so today, I'm excited to be able to announce that Pastor Chewy is sensing the call again to go and plant a new church. Um, and this time, he's not, he's not going as far away. And so um, he's not headed back to Mexico City, at least as planned. The plan right now is that he would like, and he has approached our elder team to ask if we would support him and Carla and their kids in supporting a Spanish-speaking church in the D.C. metro area. And so... Um, he, we've worked on a proposal together. It was presented to our elders. We had our annual elder retreat, which usually we go away. This year was a Sunday afternoon on Zoom. Um, but we, we, spent, we spent the retreat largely talking about this proposal. 
And his desire is to, remain, is to remain deeply connected as a part of Redemption Hill Church. And it, so it will be a local Spanish-speaking congregation of the growing Redemption Hill Church family, and we are going to call it Iglesia Redención. So, today, Pastor Chewy is going to preach. And as he takes to the pulpit today, we're gonna, we paused our series in Revelation because we want you to know that church planting isn't just a fun, exciting thing. This is actually an outworking of God's plan for the advance of his gospel. That when Jesus says, I, am built, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, what he's saying is that the church will advance. And through the book of Acts, as you're going to see, we see church planting as the God-ordained vehicle to advance Christ's kingdom. And so as he comes up today, um, he is going to help us to see that. And so would you welcome Pastor Chewy to the pulpit before I pray for him. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good and so kind, and you have given us as a church the opportunity to have to see and to be involved in ministry impact that goes far beyond what's happening here in this local congregation. You've opened the up doors that we can't, couldn't have imagined and pictured when things started a little over 10 years ago when we were first gathering a core team here on Capitol Hill. And as we look toward our 10th anniversary and look toward the opportunity to begin the work and laying the groundwork for planting a new church that is going to reach into a group of people in this area that we currently have no ability to reach. We pray that you would move. We pray that we would hear your voice clearly. We lift up Chuy and Carla to you and ask that you would give them a sensitivity to your spirit's leading that you would help them to be able to rest in the uncertainty and to be able to see the details fall together as they already have before. We pray that you would continue to burden their hearts for the people you're calling them to and that we as a church would be supportive of them and we pray that this new local outworking of our church family would flourish not just by gathering a crowd of people together but by reaching lost people who need you and stepping in alongside a people group who is desperate for community and truth and hope. And so we lift up Chewy and Carla to you. We lift up their kids to you as they look toward another transition. We pray that you would give a sense of peace and, and gospel confidence that you can work. And so today as he opens your word for us, would you give our hearts a sensitivity to what you have for us and help us to see the beauty of your word and Christ more clearly. And so we lift this time and this family up to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Hello, can you hear me? Well, there, there you go. Um, I, I just want to make sure you, oh, there you go, Iglesia Redención. So um, I just want to clarify what's going to happen. Uh, my family and I have been fighting this edge uh, of uh, planting another church. As you know, we came in 2018 from Mexico, and at that moment, I really enjoyed being, um, you know, an associate pastor and 
being the second one and, and, and preaching less and all the responsibilities diminished uh, drastically. And I was, I was fine with that. And as we drove around and did life in this area, uh, we, we noticed the, the need for a Spanish-speaking church that actually preached the gospel. So we fought it for about two years and um, uh, we finally made the decision to answer this call and take this crazy step I'm still asking myself, why am I doing this again? But um, we know that it is God's will for us to, to continue to bless others. And, and we are not leaving Redemption Hill. I just want to make that clear. You're not getting rid of me. That is he. Um, we're going to stay around. This is not something that's going to happen immediately. There is a process to it. So um, we're just going to be an extension of the great work that God is doing through Redemption Hill in this city. And, uh, but now we're going to reach a different demographic. Um, we're going we're gonna to remain a Redemption Hill Church, as you already know and see. Uh, we're going to keep the same vision, the same mission. We're going to have similar values. And obviously, we're going to have different st strategies because we're going to reach a new, a new kind of uh, demographic. We're also going to be EFCA. We're also going to be Acts 29. But we're going to be a church in Spanish, deeply contextualized. So I would like to take this opportunity to first thank you for your support. It's crazy that a church always get, our church always gets excited about this. Uh, it's not common, but thank you for being a church planting church. Um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about why is it that we are a church planting church. And Bill just mentioned it. I want to argue for the fact that God chose church planting as the means to reach out the nations, to reach the nations. So before I start... Uh, let me go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you again for this church. And I pray, Lord, that <clears throat> through your spirit you will guide me, that all of us would ratify and, and, and affirm our conviction of church planting as the means of reaching the nations that you have chosen. Thank you, God, for this church. Bless us all. And may your name be glorified through the proclamation of the gospel. Amen. Uh, I want to I start by asking you, what do you think of when the topic of missionary work or missionaries uh, come up? What's the first image that comes to mind when, when the topic of reaching the nations come up or is brought up? I know there's vastly different images or experiences that will determine, determine what, what your answer would be. But if you're like me, when you think of a missionary, you, you think of someone in a foreign land or in a jungle or, I don't know, in a canoe or in a, in a, in a third world country, uh, in a place that it's difficult to reach, suffering, I don't know, something like that. Or maybe you think of a summer trip to, uh, I don't know, any other place uh, far from here, maybe a bunch of teens together trying to do something for a church, or maybe another church that sends, uh, you know, uh, people to build, uh, you know, a, a sanctuary for another church. Maybe you, you think or picture a missions organization that brings water or aid or some sort of uh, humanitarian work or maybe temporary work. So that's typically what we think of when we think of missions. We tend to think of this kind of work as God's means of reaching the nations. And I think it's part of it. Other people think of God's means of reaching the nations as evangelistic work. People that do you know, crusades, concerts, conferences. That was me back in, in, in the 90s. 
uh, in the 2000s. I was actually part of a, of a Christian rock band. That was the thing to do back then. And you know, we, we totally thought that that was the way to reach the nations. We totally thought that concerts and events were, were, were the, the way to reach our generation. And we were satisfied to see people come to, to, to our concerts and then do an altar call at the end. And all the kids would come to the front and they would pray a prayer. And that was success for us. But the reality is that our version of reaching the nations was not really connected to the local church. All of these things that we used to do and, and, and events we used to go that were really cool and, and, and amazing uh, were not necessarily connected to the local church. And, and I would like to, to, to really argue that church planting, the local church, is God's means of reaching the nations. In other words, I would like to argue that starting new churches is, is, is the way that God has used throughout history to spread the good news of the gospel. So let me begin by reading a passage of scripture that sort of resembles what is happening here before our eyes today. And that will give us an idea of how it reached the nations uh, back uh, in, the, in the beginnings of church. So let's read Acts 2, chapters 12 um, starting in verse 14, 24, going through 13, verse 3. And this is what it reads. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Luscious of Cyrene, Menain, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, and, the, uh, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and prayer, praying, they laid hands, and they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. So what's happening here is something similar to what's happening here in front of you. If you know the context of this, Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, were sent by the church of Antioch to bring money to the church in Judea because there was a famine. A famine was prophesied. You can read this, you can read this in chapter 11 and 12. And, uh, and they, they were sent to send money to, or take money to the church in Judea, and they come back to Antioch, which is their sending church, and then... They spent some time there, and after a period of time, God called them again to start the journey again of planting churches and visiting different cities. So, this is what's happening, and this is what God used to spread the gospel throughout the first century. Paul and Barnabas visited churches, and they proclaimed, visited cities, and they proclaimed the gospel, and new churches were formed. So... My point today is to argue again that church planting is God's means of reaching the nations because, number one, it is biblical. This is what we see in the text, in the Bible. In the text that we just read, we see how the, the word of God grew and how churches were born because of this. And as the word of God spread, new churches were planted and people were continually sent out to plant more churches. And this story is not unique to this uh, section. It, it actually is a pattern that we see in the book of Acts. 
And it's a pattern that began from the beginning of the book of Acts. If you remember, Jesus leaves his disciples, right, in, in Acts 1. And then they gather together. They're praying. The Holy Spirit falls on them and equips them to, to what? To be his witnesses. And what happens? Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. And let's see what happens. This, this is all recorded in Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 41 to 47. So Peter preaches the first sermon ever from Peter. And this is what happens. So those who received his word were what? Baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, uh, distributing the proceedings to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Peter preached... And 3,000 people converted, and a church was formed. The result of this preaching was the immediate formation of a church. What is a church? A community of those saved by God's grace and united with Christ by God's Spirit. And in fact, the pastor that sent Bill to plant this church, Pastor Bill Kynes, he, he wrote it, talking about this very, this very text in the book of Angelical Convictions, says the following. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to the crowds in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people responded in repentance and faith and were baptized that day. Listen to this. They did not go home to become followers of Jesus privately and independently. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Saving faith entails a new community. We can't just preach the word to people and have them pray a prayer and, and, and stop there. We can't. That is not the whole process. God's means of reaching the nations is churches. He came to die for his church. That has been the plan all along. And the proclamation of the gospel results in a new, a new covenant community. The, the proclamation of the gospel always results in churches being created. This is what happens after, after Peter uh, preached. People devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They were, they were learning from each other and from, the, from their leadership. There was leadership. There was discipleship. They were eating together. They had community groups in a way. They had, they, there was fellowship. They visited each other's homes. They were praying together. There was hospitality. But the most clear demonstration of this, of the fact that a church was birth or born is not that, they, that, that a group of friends of, of Christians uh, began doing life together. That is not the clearest demonstration. The clearest demonstration of the formation of a church was that they observed and practiced the sacraments. They celebrated communion or the Lord's Supper. In verse 41 it says, so those who received his word were baptized and they also practiced baptism. And baptism is not only a profession of faith, but it's also an affirmation of a believer into the church community. So this is important because we see this pattern 
over and over in the book of Acts happening. People hear the gospel, people respond in faith, and churches are being planted or created. That's what we see. And this is also what we see when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. He tells us not only to teach them, not only to do life together, not only to be a good group of friends, but to be a church. And how do we know this? Because Jesus commands us to baptize them. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then what? Baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The observance of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are the clearest demonstration that churches were formed in those places where the gospel was being preached. And once again, we see this pattern. And even though we don't have a clear verse that says we must plant churches, we have the entire New Testament in a not prescriptive way show us that there is a clear pattern of planting churches that results from the proclamation of the gospel. And if we go actually a little bit back in Acts 11, we'll see how this story that I just read in my first text began. Listen to this in Acts 11, 19 and 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We see this again. How, this, how did the Antioch church became to be? Because of persecution. And then the story continues in verse 22 to 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And what did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with, with what? With the church. And taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, we see always the result as a church being planted. So... The gospel was preached in Ephesus. What happened? The Ephesian church was, was planted. The gospel was preached in Rome. The Roman church was planted. The gospel was preached in Galatia, and the Galatian church was planted, and so on and so forth. Church planting is God's means of reaching the nations because it is biblical. And church planting should continue to be God's means to reach the nations today. Listen to what pastor and theologian and, and, and someone I would argue an expert in church planting tells us in his book, Center Church, Tim Keller. He says the following, in Acts, planting churches is not a traumatic or unnatural event. And I want to pause here. 
What you're seeing happening right now, it's something that we've done before and hopefully will happen again. This is not a division. This is not that I, I, I got in an argument with Bill and this is the best thing we came up with. No, this is something that we do because we are a church planting church. And this is not something that should be or is traumatic or unnatural. It is woofing into the warp and woof of ministry. And so it happens steadily and naturally. Paul never, never evangelizes and disciples without planting a church. For decades, expositors have looked to Acts to make lists of the basic elements of ministry. Bible teaching, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and worship. I have always found it at odd I found it odd that there in Acts, along with everything else the church is doing, is church planting. Yet, this element of ministry is consistently ignored. I believe there is a dubious, tacit cessationism at work. Almost unconsciously, readers of the book of Acts have said, yes, but that was for then. We don't do, we don't do that now. I believe this conclusion misses a key aspect of of, uh, of the books, uh, the book of Acts have said, I mean, of a healthy church, namely that church planting must be natural and customary, not traumatic and episodic. So we agree with the book of Acts and with Tim Keller <laughs> in understanding that this is something that should happen. People don't only need their needs met through humanitarian work, even though that's important. People don't only need a prayer or an event or an experience, even though that might also be important. People need a church. People need a family. People need a community, a gospel community. They need to be discipled. They need to be cared for. They need to continue to, to, to be uh, encouraged. And they also need to give their gifts and talents to that same body. So again, I'd like to, to propose that When we talk about missions or missionary work or evangelism, we need to also be thinking of church planting. Because there is still an urgent need to plant churches. Even in places and in countries that have a lot of churches like America. So we see church planting on God's means of reaching the nations because it's biblical. But we also believe that it strengthens the gospel presence in that place. So this is going to be the shortest section, and it's going to be mostly also very informative. And um, I just want to be upfront: 70% or more of this section is going to be totally a ripoff from Tim Keller's book, Center Church. Um, but I want, to, I want to convey this information because it helps us see the importance of church planting. Um, church planting strengthens the current gospel presence in every place where a church is planted. In a significant way. For example, first, new churches, new churches are better at evangelism. Because church plants are in urgent need of people, they are very emphatic on their evangelism efforts. And they're also very creative. Therefore, new churches or new church plants reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups best. Tim Keller says that statistically, new church plants are more aware of the current needs of a specific context, and therefore, new residents and new generations are more likely to attend this church plant. The same happens with people groups. Tim Keller actually says that in an, in, if, if an area sees a rise of a specific ethnicity, 
The best option is to plant a new church that will identify with that demographic. And that is exactly what we're doing. If you, don't, if you didn't know, Hispanics and Asians are the fastest growing minorities in the U.S. And in the DMV, there's a lot of Hispanics. In fact, curiously enough, the largest population of Hispanics in this area are from two countries mainly. El Salvador and Mexico. Sounds familiar? My wife and I. So, we are very well positioned to reach a rising minority of people in our very area. New churches are better at reaching the unchurched, period. According to Keller, almost 80% of the growth of well-established churches come from believers transferring from another congregation. As opposed to almost 80% growth in the new church plants coming from unchurched non-believers. In general, when a church is planted, that area sees a significant increase in evangelism efforts and gospel presence. Number two, new churches bring renewal to to the existing body of Christ. Contrary to common belief, new church plants bless the established churches in several ways. They're not competition. New churches bring new ideas to the table to the whole body because new churches are creative. I remember this happening in Mexico. If you are into the church church planting world, you know that one of the hardest things that planters uh, face is finding musicians. So we went to Mexico, and we started our church with four musicians. My wife and I and Eli and my brother David, we all went to school for music. We had a bass, drums, keyboard, and a singer. We had a band before we had a church. Not only that, we happened to land right across the street, literally, and and Bill knows this. You open the door of one of the largest music schools in Mexico, you cross the street, and there was my, my apartment. We landed there, and we started seeing a a flow of people, and we started getting, uh, like, how do we get these people into the church? And we started doing crazy things, because that's what church plants do. So my brother had this this room that he would uh, pick, uh, or or how do you say, like, set apart on certain days to practice, and we would ask our friends to go with us and practice just Christian songs that were kind of cool. And, and most of them were in, in, in either in English or in um, Portuguese. Uh, <laughs> so we would go and practice with them songs that they didn't know what they were saying, but we were actually practicing songs for our church. And they were with us, and we invited other drummers or other bass players or mostly guitar players. And that's what we did. And then after that, we would go out and have, uh, go out to eat. And that's how we actually started making connections with people. That's not something that a lot of people think of. We thought of that. And then, in fact, we had uh, two experiences. One time, there's, this guy showed up when we lunch services, and uh, he used to play the keyboard, and he had perfect pitch. If you don't know what that is, it's like he doesn't even need to know what's, what, what song or what, what key the song is. He can actually play it just by listening to it. And he played the key. And that Sunday, a keyboard player that was supposed to play didn't show up, and we put the guy to play without even rehearsing. So we were desperate enough to do things like that. 
And then uh, Bill remembers Cesar. He used to be a classical uh, guitar player, and he wanted to be a part of our church, but he wasn't agreeing with Christianity. So I asked him to learn uh, Come Thou Fount, and he played it while we were having communion in our church one time. I don't know if I would do that again, but anyway, <laughs> the point is... The point is that we were, we were trying so hard to get people to come and finding connecting points with them that we were just innovating and making mistakes and, and trying here, here and there. So this is a way in which local churches are also blessed because they are encouraged to see new ways of trying uh, to connect with people. All of these challenge new churches around us. New churches are one of the best places to identify creative, strong leaders for the whole body. New churches develop new leaders faster due to the urgency of leaders. They also give opportunity to lead people that in established churches would struggle to have opportunities. New churches challenge the other churches to self-examination. And new churches may be an evangelistic feeder for a whole community. The last point of this section is that new churches confront the my kingdom mentality. Churching, planting churches motivate people to think beyond their own church and their, their, their community. It motivates pastors to think about empowering others rather than finding people that empowers them. It confronts the consumer mentality of the member of the church by allowing them to think of how to be producers and givers instead of consumers. It motivates established churches to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the gospel and bless other, other, other churches. So right now, just because of the very fact that I'm standing here and I want to plant another church, you already know that there is a growing population of Hispanics. You probably already knew that. But did you know that there are over 60 million Hispanics in the U.S.? We are the largest minority in the U.S. There's about 12, more, 12 million more Hispanics than African Americans in this country. Did you know that if we take all the Hispanics of the U.S. and make them all one country, it would be the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world? Mexico is the largest Spanish-speaking world in the whole world. It has 100, almost 130 million Mexicans. We're, we're, there's a lot of us. Um, if the U.S. was a Spanish-speaking country, it would be the second one with 60 million. Spain has barely 50 million. The U.S. has more Hispanics than Spain. The U.S. has more Hispanics than Colombia, than Argentina, than Paraguay, than Uruguay, than Costa Rica, than Guatemala, than all of those. In fact, there are more Hispanics in the U.S. than in the entire Central America. So, planting churches allow us to think beyond our only or our community, to think of others. And this is not new for us. We have always been constantly reminding all of us but there are people in need, and that's why we're supporting Mexico and supporting Ireland and Cuba and, and now the Bronx. And this is another opportunity to fight that my kingdom mentality. And another, another way why we believe that church planting is God's means of reaching the nations is because he teaches us that it is better to, that it's better to give than to receive on a new level. So when you think of supporting a church plant, what do you think of? Most of us in most churches I've, I've talked to, they think of money. Many churches don't mind sending money 
or support, supporting other people or sending chairs or iPads or whatever they need to send, that's fine. But church planting forces us to see giving in a new light. Listen to this, uh, this, this uh, text in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul is motivating the Corinthian church to give. But not all, he's talking about finances, but look at what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Giving for church planting and for everything, it should not only be financial. And God is promising the church that he will give in every way so that in every way we can be generous. And I am convinced that one of the reasons why this church has been so blessed is because it's constantly giving. It's because we see this, that God reaches Redemption Hill to be generous. And Redemption Hill is generous with others. And that is just a conduit for God to continue the blessing and to bless others so that others might hear the gospel. When we embark in church planting, we end up giving more than just money or things. Sometimes we sacrifice the hardest things to sacrifice. People, key people in our churches. And sometimes you give large portions of great people to support other church plants. That's exactly what happened in the text that we read at the beginning. They lost their founder and probably their first pastors. Barnabas was the first pastor. He was sent from the church in Jerusalem to pastor the church in Antioch, and he needed, he needed help, and so he went to get Paul, and Paul probably became the second pastor. And then those are the very people that, that the Spirit said, set them apart because now I'm sending them. What do you think that happened to the church in Antioch? Other people had to step up to the plate and now become leaders so that they were sent off. And this is what happens, and it's usually the hardest thing to do. If you talk to any pastor, one of the hardest things to do is to actually send good people to plant. And this is what Cornerstone did with Bill and Alyssa. If you don't know the story, Bill will tell you, but they decided they wanted to plant somebody, and they received Bill, and they received somebody who was trained theological, who had a, a great family, a great witness, a, a man who was mature in the faith. And Cornerstone didn't keep him and didn't say, oh, this is the best associate pastor I'm going to get. I'm going to keep him. No, they decided to continue to invest and send them and release them to go plant another church. And that's exactly what's happening right now. God is doing it again, and Bill is sending us. And not only us, but many more people that will hopefully come will be blessed by the proclamation of the gospel through us. So money is not just the only way. I remember Bill telling that Cornerstone sent children workers. Sometimes they sent musicians. And if you didn't, if you didn't know, there's people in, in Redemption Hill that came with Bill and Alyssa to plant Redemption Hill from Cornerstone, and they're still here. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we keep sacrificing and giving, but not just giving what's left from us. We want to sacrificially give 
And this just repeats itself and blesses beyond what we can imagine. Let me tell you just one little thing. You don't know what God is doing when you send church planters or when you support church plants. You don't know what happens. There's crazy stories happening all around us. There are people in Mexico City right now that because you guys sent us are being blessed and their lives have been transformed. And that's going to happen again. There are a bunch of Hispanics walking around right now that have no idea something is coming and they belong to Jesus. They are not there yet. But Jesus is coming for them. They just don't know it. It's true. And this is the crazy thing. You think it stops there? It doesn't. I was talking to Pastor Eddie Saldana who planted a church in New Jersey. He's Guatemalan. You know what's happening? A whole family of his church was deported. And he was an elder candidate in his church. Guess what happened? The family is back in Guatemala and they're planting a church. It doesn't stop there. It's God's means of of reaching the nations. This is what happened. There's another story of a guy from California. His name is Atanasio. And he was born in the U.S. He was born in Mexico. And he was brought up when he was little. And then he was deported. And now he's the head of a church planting movement in Mexico. And he knew Jesus in California. We don't know what's happening. We no longer have to only rely on buying tickets and sending our teams or ourselves to other countries. God is bringing these people to us. And it does, I'm not arguing for if they should be or not be legalized. Or I'm not getting into any of those, those, those things. They are people and they need to hear the gospel. Theologian Samuel Escobar says the following. Migration is a major feature of the 21st century. An old study, 2005, United Nations report claims that there are nearly 191 million international migrants worldwide. The International Organization for Migration estimates the number of foreign migrants at around 200 million. This is in 2005. Another 100 million are on the move within their own borders. Migration is enormously complex. Its causes and its effects range from simple economic betterment to the horrors of war, ethnic conflict, and genocide. Whatever the cause, it is an undeniable opportunity for the evangelization that the, for evangelization that the church dare not ignore. That's what we're doing. And I'd like to finish with this. We believe that church planting is God's means of reaching the nations because it is biblical, because it strengthens the gospel presence in that place, and because it teaches us that it's better to give and to receive on a new level. But mostly because Jesus' plan, God's plan, has always been to have a church, a bride, and we should do the same. There is no other purpose in God saving us, apart from his glory, than to gather a people for himself. The last part of Article 1 of our, our statement, or the EFCA statement of faith, says, says it very well. God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. The biggest example and argument we have for church planting as God's means of reaching the nations is Jesus himself. He came down from his glory 
and came to reach his church, to form his church, to build his church. He gave his life and all of his resources for us, his church. Jesus didn't just come to provide for us or to teach us something. He didn't just send some help and resources to us. Jesus came himself to the place where we lived. Jesus became one of us. He spoke our language. Jesus ate our food. Jesus left his comforts. Jesus left his glory to dwell among us. He left his throne. He emptied himself to come and to love the undeserving wretched sinners we are. And we rejected him. And he still did it. And he still loves us. Jesus wanted to ultimately have us as part of his family. He is preparing a home for us. He wants us. He wants us to be a part of his family. He wants us to be part of his community. He calls us his bride, our, his bride, and we should do the exact same thing for others. We have, we, God has given us the opportunity, the burden, the people, the resources to reach and love one of the most overlooked minorities in this country. And we will bring the gospel to them because it is the gospel thing to do. He came to die for us, and his arms are open wide for us. And I want to encourage us, I want to challenge us to see and understand that we should continue to give grace and invest in others and provide for others, even if it's hard for us. So I would like to close by saying <clears throat> and inviting all of us, consider giving, praying, and helping in any way possible to this church plant. And not only to this church plant, to our church. You should, you should feel very happy that you are in a church that invests so much money in so many different ways, in so many different countries, in everlasting or lasting ways. Nothing that we do as a church is short term. We are there for the long haul. And if you want to get involved, and if you speak Spanish, <laughs> come with us. Iglesia Redención would, would be happy to have you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity we have to, to once again <clears throat> bless your people and the people that you came to die for. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be with us and that you will help us be a light in this area, in this world. Lord, we want to pray for this uh, initiative, for this church plant. We want to pray that you will bless uh, our words, our lives, and that you will use us to bring salvation to many. I also pray for Redemption Hill that you will continue to help us have this outward focus to continue to be a blessing in many ways. Thank you for Bill and Alyssa and all the elders and the members of this church who have always been generous. And I pray that they will continue to be generous so that many more, more people will hear the gospel. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
Thank you, Chewy. Um, we will have some more information as far as timelines and how to be involved. This is not like we're kicking him out now. <laughs> as we mentioned, Pastor Chewy is going to continue to be a pastor of our church. Um, just as an overall, their family is likely to move this summer so that they're settled before the kids start school for the fall. And we're really looking at him developing and laying the groundwork with the hope of maybe fall of 2022 launching services weekly. So it's going to be long developing. Um, there'll be a video that gets, goes out of the two of us talking about the plant and opportunities and how it's going to work out that'll go out this um, later on today. So look for that. But we're excited to see what God has ahead for us.